Hello, and welcome to Ecology and Me, a citizen scientist podcast for curious humans. I'm Kate Douglas, curious human, and today we're talking about herbs. I am totally giddy about today's guest, herbalist Sage Bauer. I was lucky enough to study with Sage for several years, and she is a fountain of knowledge when it comes to plant wisdom. I came into working with plants first through my mother and grandmother as gardeners. And then I just really got into like the the old Celtic lore and magic around plants and got into working with plants and ritual and, and kind of energy work with plants. And so I kind of married that spiritual side of working with plants with science of herbalism. And I studied ecology um, in graduate school. So I have a master's in of science and kind of plant ecology, New England, New England plant ecology and environmental education and studying ethnobotany at University of Hawaii for a couple of years, many years ago. Yeah, I've taught kids and adults, but mostly adults for, for about 20 years. I was thrilled to receive several questions from listeners about herbs. So we're going to dive right into it. Let's start with what is an herb exactly? So there's a couple different ways to understand what an herb is. The I think most common is people recognizing an herb being something that we use in food or something we use in medicine, or maybe like we use it to dye or it's like a flavoring or something. So an herb is often what is more utilitarian for humans. And, and then in botany, it's like a non-woody plant, one that doesn't have a woody stem, although sage becomes woody, uh, thyme, rosemary, uh, lavender, those all become woody and those are definitely considered herbs. So botany doesn't use the term herb a whole lot. And it also tends to talk about plants that where they actually use the leaves instead of like primarily the bark or the seeds or something like that. So it's like a leafy green but um, I think what most people think of with herb is just one that is used generally in food or medicine. And asking as someone who not only drinks teas regularly, but also uses herbs on her meals nearly every day, why do herbs taste so good? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of compounds in plants that taste good. And it's just these chemicals in plants that when we put them on our tongue, the nerve cells in our tongue reads those specific chemicals. This is how we taste anything. And then those chemicals travel through our neurons that then get translated in our brain as a certain flavor. So, I mean, it's bizarre, but that's what's happening. It's just a chemical, chemical exchange. Adult humans have an average of 2,000 to 8,000 taste buds, which are a combination of cells that renew every 9 to 10 days. Now, the animal with the most taste buds? The catfish. That's right. Catfish typically have more than 100,000 taste buds. Some have upwards of 175,000. That's more than 50 to 87 times the average human. Wowza. The animal with the fewest? Chickens. They have 24 taste buds you know, carbohydrates, like simple sugars and plants and, and those tastes, we, or we register them as sweet and, uh, and then like spicy, there's a bunch of different chemicals that create spicy sour is usually like the acids, like in citrus. Um, but there's acids in lots of different plants. And so, yeah, so each of the flavors is from specific chemicals in the plants. So like poison alkaloids or 
bitter taste sometimes so that they, an animal won't want to eat it versus the plants that taste sweet that are like high in those polysaccharides or simple sugars, carbohydrates. That's what the animals are going to want to eat. So it is interesting too, because it seems like some, plant, some plants are clearly willing to be eaten because that's a huge part of their role in the ecosystem. And they're not producing compounds that would make us sick, you know, or stop us from, or hairs on them that would stop us from eating it. Now, part of why plants have medicine for us is because plants use that same medicine for themselves. You know, we're similar in a lot of ways in, in terms of just like our cellular functions and what we need, like the essential nutrients that we need, the plants also need. And so they store them also. They need the vitamins and minerals too, you know, just like we do. And, um, you know, they have hormones just like we do that controls growth patterns and different aspects of their physiology. They have, you know, the nervous system chemicals that we have. And obviously they have like a way they don't digest the way that we do, but they are also consuming, you know, and burning energy and, and repairing themselves and fighting off infection. So, you know, a lot of the compounds like the volatile oils that they create that are very antimicrobial, that's for the plant so that it doesn't get an infection of, you know, some, some bacteria or fungus or something, or, or maybe so they won't be eaten. You know, a lot of alkaloids are made so that an animal won't eat that plant. Plants, they're just like us. And as humans have co-evolved with plants, our ways of using them for food and medicine have changed dramatically. I think what's really different in, in ancient times is they were doing a lot of like herbal beer making and fermenting where the plants were part of the fermentation. And so you were getting these not like tinctures the way that we do them, where we're, you know, making a really concentrated alcoholic extract. But traditionally, they were doing more uh, like beers and like drinks, wines, things you could actually, you know, drink socially. That was also your medicine. And so now we have it really separated where like there's your food and there's your medicine. And that was not the case. There was a lot more of your medicine plants being a part of your food. And that's true all over the world and still is in many parts of the world where like a hundred different plants will be used in one day of cooking alone. Medicinal plants. That's a big difference. You, you definitely still see that over the, all over the world. But when you're thinking of like the formalized study of herbalism, it tends to be much more almost like allopathic, like turning the herbs into drugs. And you're making these really strong preparations and tinctures and you're putting them in capsules. And obviously we didn't have, we weren't using capsules in the past. Herbs, medicinal herbs were incorporated more into everyday life. And also I think one other big difference is the spiritual side of it that People, you know, and still all, all over the world that herbal medicine was not separated from ritual and the spiritual traditions and prayer. And so, you know, they, the herbs would be, you know, washed over you, you'd be bathed in herbs, you'd have the smoke, you know, and that would be done all the time. That was just normal as part of what the medicine was, you know. Sage says these traditions echo something that science is only just beginning to catch up with. Plants are conscious beings. So, you know, if we're looking at what is consciousness, the plants have, other than these like specific nerve cells that we have, they have the same chemicals. And the nerve cells that we have are just to pass these specific chemicals through really rapidly. You know, they have the same chemicals. They're just not moving through neurons. So it's just like whatever we think cognition is, if we're attributing it scientifically to the brain and nervous system, 
the plants have that other than this differentiated cell, but they have the same chemicals that are responsible for our consciousness, you know, according to science. So that's, I'm really, really interested in more and more around people understanding how plants communicate and science starting to learn like fungal and um, plant relationships and, you know, just the, the kind of network, the like internet that all of plants are a part of and how they cooperate, how they communicate. It's humbling thinking about herbs as conscious beings who are quite willing to be eaten. So they clearly understand they have a role. I, I really am interested in that co-evolution. There's more cooperation in nature that benefits the whole than there is competition. And that's like, as a scientist, you're you've, you kind of were first taught the theory of like competition and that that was, you know, what nature is generally doing. And then you study science and ecology more and you realize it's no, it's cooperation that's benefiting everybody. And they want every, you know, all the species need the other species to be doing well. As uh, for me, I'm a devotee of plants primarily, and I'm not just there to see how I can use them. Like we're in a partnership, I'm giving to the plants and they're giving to me. So I'm always asking, what can I do to support that species? What can I do to support its ecosystem and to think in a larger vision of just what humans need? You know, and I think a lot of herbalists are recognizing the importance of that and shifting their view around it, not just being about plants for human medicine, but instead, how how can we actually be in relationship with them and, and give to them equally as they're giving to us? want to support the podcast visit my patreon where you could submit questions for future episodes please send me your burning curiosities and we can learn the answer together that's at patreon.com slash ecology and me i'm kate douglas stay curious out there this episode was recorded mixed and produced by me theme song is by the amazing matthew dean marsh follow us on social at ecology and me 